Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday, whatever term you want to use, it's about Jesus. I'm excited. I love this Sunday. This Sunday is the best Sunday of the year. Did you know that? All other Sundays fail in comparison to Easter Sunday. It's the whole reason why we gather as a church. It's the whole reason why we call ourselves believers. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, he would just be like any other world religion leader that's still in the grave. Jesus is the only one who rose from the grave and lives today and forevermore. Amen? Are you, are you excited about this? This is like the Super Bowl Sundays for pastors, okay? You know what I mean? Like this is the big leagues. I feel like I'm in it to win it, you know, this morning. I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Man, it's so good to be with you, to be with the church. God is so good to us. God is alive, and he's doing great things. I don't know if you can tell I'm pumped up or not. I don't know if that's apparent to you, if I'm portraying my excitement this morning, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Some of you tell your face to be excited. Real quick, tell your face, hey, wake up, be excited. It's a great Sunday in the house. This is probably one of my favorite Sundays to preach of all time. There's so many wonderful messages that you can preach about the resurrection, and I'm going to share one with you this morning. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to just ask you a question. Did, did anybody notice the church painted? Okay, good, because last week we had it painted, and none of y'all even recognized it. <laughs> it went from blue to white, and like half of you were like, what? And we mentioned it last time. And uh, so sometimes we, it's difficult. We, we miss things that are right in front of us. Have you ever done that? You look for your keys and you have them in your, your hand the whole time, right? Or your phone, you can't find it, and you're looking for it, you don't know where it's at, and you're, you're holding it. That's happened to me like seven times this week. So sometimes we just miss things that are right in front of our face, that some things we don't even look for, we're not even recognizing. Did, did, you know, did you notice something else that was new this morning? Yeah? The sign. Did you guys notice the sign? The sign. We're, we are uh, officially, we'll be changing the name of our church from Hosanna Worship Center to Central Valley Church. And so we're super excited about that, and uh, I'm pumped about that. And uh, we're doing that for a couple of reasons. Anytime that God did, did a new thing uh, with, with his people, there was always a, a change in name. I don't know if you know the stories of Abraham and Sarah, but they weren't always Abraham and Sarah. They were Abram and Sarai, and God changed their name. I don't know if you know who Jacob was, but I'm sure you know his name changed to Israel. Some of you may not know who Simon was, but they changed his name to Peter. Some of you may not know who Saul was, but they changed his name to Paul. All because they had a powerful encounter with God. And we believe God is powerfully encountering us. And so he spoke to us to make a change in name. And so we're super excited about that. And uh, now the first time I heard Central Valley Church, we had prayed about it. It was, it was uh, introduced and we were uh, as a leadership team and we talked about it. The first time I heard it, can I be honest, I thought that's pretty generic. You know what I mean? I thought, Really? Can we not be more creative than that? And I was praying about it, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, uh, he said do you not want to see the Central Valley saved? And I said, yeah, of course I want to see the Central Valley saved. He's like, do you, do you, oh, so you don't want to be a part of it, though? It's like, no, I really want to be a part of it. Then, then will you be the church of the Central Valley? And I said, yes, we will. And then he said, do you not want to grow? And I said, no, we want to grow. We want to grow deeper in our walks and be better disciples, look more like Jesus, and we want to see our numbers grow because we want, to, we want more people who are hopeless to find hope. He said, isn't, isn't the Central Valley where things grow? 
I said, yeah, that's where, central, that's where things grow. Things grow here. Mostly almonds now, but used to be a lot of things grew to grow. But, but this, is where the, this is where things grow. He says, well, let this be the church where things grow. I said, that's good, God. That's good. I agree. And he said, do you, do you want to feed people? I said, yeah, I want to feed people. You want to feed people spiritually and physically? I said, yeah, I want to do that. The Central Valley is the place to, where, where the nations are fed. Do you want to be a church that feeds the nations? I said, yes, we want to be a church that feeds the nations. And so I felt God was speaking to me and to our church. These are going to be our, 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 our focus. This is going to be our mission statement, that we're going to reach the, the Central Valley for Jesus. We're going to grow disciples, and we're going to feed the nations. And we're going to do that at Central Valley Church. And so I, I'm excited about that, be praying about that. And, uh, and we're, gonna, we're getting everything in order to make that name change coming soon. So we wanted to let you know on Easter Sunday that there are big things happening. And God is on the move. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, I'm glad that some of you did notice the sign, though. Because if you didn't, then that whole talk was kind of pointless. It's out there. And if you didn't, if you didn't, if you didn't notice it, you're not alone. Because honestly, a lot of us, we just don't catch things. Right? We just miss things that are right in front of us. Unless you're my son, my, my two-and-a-half-year-old, that kid notices everything always, always. I got these new glasses. I wasn't quite sure how I felt about them, and he, did, he walks up to me and goes, Daddy, you got new glasses? First day I put them on, I said, yeah, son. Daddy, you got cool glasses. <laughs> I, said, I said, you're now ahead of your brother in my favorite zone. Good job. His brother can't talk yet, but so he's, he's one up on him right now. Uh, but he notices everything, and that's good, but not all of us notice everything. We miss small things. We miss big things. We tend to look right past the stuff that we're even looking for, and this morning, like I said, there's a story about the resurrection that reminds me that we often miss the things that are right in front of us, and it's in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, and so if you'll turn there with me, Luke 24, starting in verse 13, the title that Luke ascribes this story is called the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Can we pray? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did not stay in the grave, but you rose from the dead. We thank you, Jesus, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave the devil a black eye on our behalf. And God, we stand unified today, recognizing that you are God. So we ask, Jesus, that you would speak to us today, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive what you have for us, God. Let these words be your words, not my words, that would touch hearts and change lives today and change the trajectory of our futures to know you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you with me, Luke 24, starting in verse 13? If you've got it, say yes. If it's behind me, say amen. Ooh, look at that. Starting in verse 13, it says this, the very day, that very day, the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, that very day, two of them, speaking of two of his disciples, not, not the original 11, but others that were following Jesus for the last three years, they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. See, something's interesting about Emmaus. We don't really know where Emmaus is today. We don't know where that town is. We know it's seven miles outside of Jerusalem, but they have gone through and they've tried to look for ancient villages and cities and they've done excavations and stuff and they've never found a city named Emmaus. Actually, 
if, even if you look at the ancient maps that they had during Jesus' time, they never even put Emmaus on their own maps. What does that tell me? It tells me that it was such an insignificant and obscure place that it wasn't needed to be marked at all. You ever been in a place you felt that was obscure and insignificant? Anytime I'm outside of California, even sometimes when I'm in California and people ask me where I'm from, I say Madera. They say where? I say Fresno. Right? Because they don't know where Madera is. Sometimes I feel like people look at our town and they think it's obscure and insignificant. But what's interesting is that Jesus is about to head to a place that was obscure and insignificant. And he's about to do something powerful. So the story, as I was reading it, I thought, ooh, this is good. Jesus, thank you. Because sometimes... I feel like people don't know where we're at on the map, but Jesus knows. And so they're heading out there seven miles from Jerusalem. And it's the first time and the last time that we ever hear of this place called Emmaus, and yet something special is about to happen in this insignificant place. Verse 14 says this, And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Right? Jesus rides in on a donkey like a boss. Right? They're laying down their jackets and coats and palm fronds before him and saying, Hosanna in the highest praise be the king. And he sets all of Jerusalem in an uproar. He walks into the temple. He starts kicking tables over and whipping people and saying, like, get out my house. You know what I mean? Much like I would do if people walked in my house uninvited. No? You don't believe that? All right. You're probably right. But Jesus goes in there, and he starts setting things, turning things upside down, and he's preaching in the temple where they were trying to kill him, and now they can't do anything about it. And everybody's like, it's happening. Something crazy is happening. And, and now, all of a sudden, then he gets arrested, and they kill him on Friday. And in that quick of a turnaround, what all the excitement and expectation that was leading up to it, now they're like, what has happened? And everybody in Jerusalem is talking about it. Jesus who was supposed to be our king, is now dead. And they're talking, these two disciples walking to a place leading to nowhere are talking about what they wished would have happened. They're talking about all the things that Jesus was supposed to do and didn't do in their lives. Verse 15 says this, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, the resurrected king who just rose from the grave, He himself drew near to them and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Much like not seeing a blue building turning white. We didn't see the transition. We missed something right in front of us. They looking for Jesus and the disappointment in him not being alive and not seeing that the resurrected king was right in front of them. And it puzzles me, this story, it makes me wonder, I don't know if you ever read Scripture and you think, well, why did that happen? Do you ever do that? That doesn't make much sense to me. Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that he has 40 days that he's going to walk the earth to show himself to his disciples. 40 days before he ascends to the Father and sits at the right hand of God. He's got 40 days. And I would think if I were Jesus, I would have been like walking into the temple with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and be like, "Uh uh-oh, you know what I mean? You killed me, but guess what? I got up. You know, that's what I, I mean, maybe because I'm a little bit petty. But Jesus, not so petty. And so I, I, I think that Jesus maybe would have gone into the town square and said, Yo, hey, I'm alive. Look at me. 
But he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, what we thought he would do, he's not doing. Instead of getting in front of the masses and blasting it on social media, he doesn't do that. He actually goes to an obscure place with people whose names we don't know who are walking to a town no one remembers to encounter them. Jesus walking with these unnamed disciples, doing the very thing we all thought that he wouldn't be doing. His time is limited. He's only got a few days, really, in the scope of things to tell people that he's alive. And he goes to these two disciples who we've never heard of before. Only one of them is actually named that we have record of, Cleopas. And we've never heard or seen of Cleopas before, and the other disciples not even named. And Jesus decides of all the places and of all the people he could go after coming back from the dead. And the very day, even. He didn't wait two weeks to show up to these guys. He didn't say, I'll do it on Monday. I just got up from the grave. He didn't do that. He met them while they were walking out of Jerusalem with heavy hearts and disappointment on their lips. He went to them in that moment. Isn't that interesting? Jesus draws near to them the nobodies who appear to be going nowhere to reveal himself to them. And they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even see him. I don't know if you've ever felt like a nobody living nowhere in a nowhere place. But can I tell you, Jesus desires to draw close to you today desires to draw near to you. You don't have to be a somebody to get God's attention. They didn't recognize him. He was their teacher. He was the one they had been following, standing right in front of them, but they didn't see it because their disappointment was so heavy. Their hurt was so real that they couldn't see the very hope standing in front of them. So these two nobodies going nowhere are approached by Jesus. And even they're heading in the wrong direction. They're heading in the wrong direction. Jesus had told them, I will be killed, but three days later I will rise again. So hang out in Jerusalem. And their, their, their disappointment was so real that they didn't even believe, believe it. They didn't even hang around three days to see if it was true. They said, we got to get out of here. This is too much. This is too real. It's too painful. They're going in the wrong direction in their life, and Jesus still pursues them. You ever been going in the wrong direction when you felt the tug of God on your heart? Jesus pursued them. They were walking away from him, and yet he chased them down to hang out with them. That tells me that no matter who you are or where you're going, here's my first point this morning. Jesus wants to draw near to you. doesn't matter who you are, where you're going. Jesus wants to draw near to you. You don't have to be a somebody to get God's attention. You don't have to be headed in the right direction in your life. You don't have to be well known to be known by God. He wants to walk with you. You ever felt insignificant that you didn't matter? You matter to God. So he draws near to them and asks them, where y'all, what are y'all talking about? Jesus, in my mind, has a little southern draw. 
He's, a, he's from Oklahoma. So what are y'all talking about? And it's as if he doesn't know, right? They're talking about him. Isn't that funny how God always asks us questions that he already knows the answer to? It's not that we can give him the answer because he's clueless. He wants to have the conversation because out of conversation builds relationship. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Your wife says, hey, can we just sit down and talk? It's not because she thinks you have something important to say. It's because she wants relationship with you. Amen? God is asking us questions all the time, not so that, we, that uh, he, he thinks that we have the answer that he doesn't have because he actually just wants to have relationship with us. He wants to talk with us, his children. Isn't it good when our kids, I'm excited that my son's beginning to talk now and he's putting sentences together because I can ask him questions and just hear what he has to say. Even most times it's just rambling, but it's, it's a beautiful thing when he talks. And then hopefully when he becomes a teenager, I won't want him to shut up. You know what I mean? Those who have parents of teenagers, you're like, oh, you're preaching to the wrong person, Pastor. I just want them to be quiet for a little bit and let me soak in the hot tub. You know what I mean? But Jesus asks them this question. And what's awesome about it is Cleopas answers. He answers Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's going on? Basically, he's saying, hey, have you been living under a rock, Jesus? Well, he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but he says, have you been living under a rock? I wish Luke would have written Jesus' response this way. I wish, you know, if I was writing it, but I'm not because that would be a hot mess. But if, if they had done it that way and he, he'd asked Jesus, have you been living under a rock? I wish Jesus would have said, no, nah, I haven't been living under one. I was behind one for three days, but it got rolled away, and now I'm here standing in front of you. That's just how, again, I'm a little bit petty in my mind, those conversations that Jesus has with us. I wish it would have gone maybe a little bit like that. Maybe Jesus would have said, oh, no, where have I been? I've been defeating death, hell, and the grave for you. What'd you do this weekend? You know what I mean? What'd you do? I've, I've been busy. Jesus doesn't answer that way, though. He allows Cleopas to continue to tell Jesus about Jesus. He's telling Jesus about there was a guy. He even says that there's this Jesus who we had hoped. He was mighty. He was a mighty prophet of God in word and in deed. And he was betrayed by our religious leaders and they crucified him. And he says in verse 21, And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And then he says, And yes, besides all this, now it's the third day since these things happened. There's two things I want to point out here. The first one is they had hoped. These are people whose hopes have been shattered. These are people who were walking in great expectation that Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem and to reign on the throne of David, the great king of Israel. Again, that they would... He would defeat and push out Rome, and they would set up and be a sovereign nation again, but things didn't work out that way. You ever been in a place in your life where your, what you expected fell short? These disciples were walking this road to nowhere with disappointment and hopelessness in their hearts. You ever felt like you were walking somewhere, and you didn't have great expectation for where you were going because of the disappointments and the hurt and the pain that was in your life? 
these disciples are walking in, in the midst of their greatest disappointment. Oftentimes for us, that is when our faith is most challenged. Would you agree? When things don't work out the way that you thought they should, I thought God loved me. I thought God was for me, not against me, but it feels like he's against me. It feels like everything is working against me. It's in the midst of our greatest disappointments. That's when our faith is challenged. And these two disciples walking to nowhere, that's what was happening in them. Their faith was being challenged. They had lost hope. They had lost hope. We know that they've lost hope because the irony is so thick. I had mentioned it already. Jesus had told them, three days from the day I die, I will rise from the dead. So hang out. Wait for me. And on the very day that he rose, they were already leaving town. They were saying, I don't even have enough faith to wait three days. I can't do it. The pain is so heavy. The hurt is so real. And not only that, but they actually heard. The Bible tells us, he says, and it's the third day. And some in our company, they ran, they went to the tomb where Jesus was, and they saw the stone rolled away, and they saw a vision of an angel telling them that Jesus was alive. They even got the report that Jesus was alive, and they didn't believe it. They said, it's crazy. They're talking about stuff, but we're going to go somewhere else. Because their disappointment was driving them to nowhere. Their pain was pushing them from Jesus. They even got the report that Jesus was alive and they didn't believe it. You ever been to that place where you've been hurt or neglected or looked past for so long that you don't want to stay in that place anymore? You think it's just easier to cut and run, to go find greener pastures? They were looking for Jesus but couldn't see him right in front of their face. They were looking a way out, looking for a way out from their disappointment and their pain. Their faith had been shattered. They were hopeless, but my second point this morning is that Jesus wants to give hope to the hopeless. These disciples weren't looking for hope. They weren't looking for encouragement. They weren't looking for life. They weren't even looking for, for a, a new beginning. They were just wanting an escape. And Jesus saw their hopelessness and walked on a road to nowhere with them to bring them hope. Their fellow disciples, they had seen Jesus. They'd already been telling people that he was alive, but they didn't even believe it. Their hearts were so discouraged, they couldn't believe the very thing that they were hoping for. Maybe that's some of you this morning. You've been looking for hope. You've been looking for help. You've been looking for freedom. And there have been people in your life telling you that Jesus is the one who brings hope, who brings help, and brings freedom, but you've had such a difficult time even believing the words that they say to you because you've been so jaded by life or you've been so pushed off by 
religion or by what other people have said. They said they were Christians, but they treated you a different way. And because of all that, you said, I'd rather get out of town than, than, than have the hope that you have. And then when the hope actually rises and it's there for you, you don't believe it because of the pain of the past or the things in life that have choked out your hope. This is what was happening to these disciples, but Jesus chased them down as they were on a journey to a road to Emmaus. Jesus tells them, your hearts have been so slow to believe what has been spoken and given to you by the prophets. And Jesus begins to walk with them at least seven miles. And if it's a, if it's a slow pace or a semi-steady pace, they're, they're going like a couple hours to walk this seven-mile road. And Jesus takes these two or three hours to explain to them using the scriptures, Moses, prophets, and the Psalms to, to reveal himself to them. And he says, this is the Christ who was supposed to suffer. He was supposed to walk through these things so that you could have life and hope again. And he reveals to them through Scripture who he is. I think sometimes people, we, we neglect the Old Testament. We think it was for a past people in a past time. And we think we don't need it anymore. But Jesus used it to reveal himself. So if Jesus used it, how many believe we should probably read it too? To see who Jesus is. The word reveals to us who Jesus is. Both Old Testament and New. Without the Old Testament, we don't even know why Jesus came in the first place. Without the Old Testament, we don't know what's being revealed in the New. Jesus uses it to teach us. We need both of those things. That's just a little side note for somebody. We need it. Scripture is for us to reveal who Jesus is to us. So Jesus walks this seven mile journey with them and explains who he is as they walk. And now maybe you don't know who Jesus is today. Maybe you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but can I tell you that if you're willing to walk with Jesus, he will reveal himself to you. If you're willing just to let him draw near to you, you may not know what it looks like, you may not know what it's supposed to feel like, but if you would just say, Jesus, will you walk with me? Will you draw near to me? I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. I, don't, I know I don't want it to look a certain way, but I want something. I want the hope that you have, and I don't know how to get it, but if you would just draw near to me, if you would just walk with me and maybe teach me who you are. And he would do it through his sweet Holy Spirit. Actually, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus. He's the one who stirs our hearts towards Jesus. We don't have to be in the right place in the right time, be the perfect person. The Holy Spirit is the one who will draw our hearts to Him. You just have to be willing to allow Him to draw near to you. Amen. Will you let Jesus draw near to you today? He wants to reveal Himself to you. That's point three. Jesus wants to reveal Himself to you. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for years, there's more of Him than you had still yet to come. And He wants to reveal more of Himself to you. Isn't it great that we have a wonderful God who's a giving God and he just never stops giving? He never runs out. He's got so much to give to us. And he wants to reveal more of his love, more of his grace, more of his forgiveness, more of his hope, more of his life to us. If we would just say yes, we don't have to look anywhere else. 
We don't need that relationship to fulfill us. We don't need that drug to make us satisfied. We don't need that drink to make us feel better when we have enough of Jesus in us. We don't need to look anywhere else. Don't rob yourself of the goodness of God by by inserting a cheap substitute. God has enough for you, and he wants to reveal it to you today. And you don't even have to be looking. Maybe you came because it's Easter, and that's what you do, and family said you got to be here. And maybe you came, and you didn't want to be here. But guess what? Jesus still wants to draw near to you. Amen? Man, ooh, I love Easter, y'all. I don't know if you know, I'm, I'm excited. The hope we have in Jesus is because he's alive, and he wants to reveal himself to us. Then as they continued to walk, the scriptures tell us that as they arrived to the village, Jesus appears to be going further, and, and these two disciples who were initially hopeless and broken said, hey, 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 wait, wait, come Come stay with us, and, 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 and the, the day is getting late. Come draw in, draw near to us. They weren't seeking him first, but now they're asking him to stay. You may not be seeking Jesus, but can I tell you, if he'll draw near to you and you open your heart to him, you'll be saying, Jesus, will you stay with me? Holy Spirit, will you teach me what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I want the real thing. I don't want counterfeit. I don't want a substitute. I want Jesus. It's getting late. They say, draw near. So he goes inside with them, and he sits down with them at the table. Jesus enters as a guest, but then he becomes the host because it says he takes the bread and blesses it and gives it to them. Isn't it good how Jesus, if you'll invite him in as a guest, he will help you and reign in your life, and he will stop being a guest, and if you'll let him be the host of your life, You'll have more blessing than you know what to deal with. Jesus takes the bread, and after giving takes, he breaks it. And the Bible tells us that when he gives it to them, their eyes are opened, and they recognize who he is. And then he vanishes before their eyes. This might be the most powerful part of this story. Because Jesus, before he went to the cross, he instituted the communion service for us, where he sat with his disciples on Passover night, and he broke bread and blessed it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he pours the cup, and he gives it to him, and says, this is my blood, a new covenant for you. Drink and eat in remembrance of me. And now he, he has risen from the grave after walking through the parts of his body being broken and his blood being spilt for us. And now he's alive with these two insignificant, no-name disciples in a place that is nowhere. And he sits with them and he says, let me bless this bread and break it before you. And in the breaking of the bread, they recognize him because they remember what he did on that Passover night. And he says, this is his body that was broken for us. But not only that. When he broke the bread and revealed it, he broke it and handed it to them. And something was revealed to them that he didn't have before the cross. They looked upon his scars. The scars that he bore for you and for me, for the shame and the sin and the guilt that we should have bore, he took it for us. It was our sin that drove him to the cross. 
But it was His love and His power that raised Him back from the grave to demonstrate to us that we have hope and life in Him today. They looked upon the scars as they looked upon the broken body and they revealed to them who Jesus is. It's the broken body that brings unity with us and God. His body was broken so that we could be unified. And when they looked to His body, they looked to the cross. And the love of God is revealed to us when we look to the cross. And our eyes will be opened to the truth of who Jesus is and what He did for you and what He did for me. This is not something we take lightly, church. This is not something that is just a part of cultural norms or something that we do on Sundays. This is a life transformation because of the one who transformed his life for us. And they said this in verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. They go from nobodies where they're nowhere to being the ones who tell the eleven disciples the Lord is risen. They go from obscurity to a place of authority because they encounter Jesus. Maybe you think you're going through life and no one cares about what you have or your opinion. But if you know Jesus, you now have authority to share something that people need. They go from nobodies to somebodies after encountering Jesus. And you might be here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, but that fire that once burned bright in your heart now is just a small ember. And your heart has grown cold because of the hurts and the disappointments and the interactions with people who you thought had your back but appeared like they don't even care about you anymore. And it became this thing inside of you that began to quench the flame of God in your heart. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, come and walk with me. Come away with me. Come journey with me and allow me to ignite that passion inside of you again. Come and read the word and allow me to reveal the scripture in the scriptures who I am and what I have a purpose for you and know who you are in God. Your identity is not what people say about you or what you do. It's about who you are in God. Come and allow me to breathe new life into you and allow my word to burn in your heart again. This is the God that we serve. See, the power and the beauty of Easter is that Jesus sparks hope in all of us again. The fact that he is alive means that it isn't over for us either. Jesus wants to draw near to us today. He wants to bring hope to us today. He wants to reveal himself to us today. We just simply have to say yes to his invitation. That's all we have to do. So it doesn't matter if you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you've been following him for years, there's new hope for you today. There's a new spark of life for you today. There's hope for you today. Amen.